0: Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of Marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have with us the one, the only, Kayson Goranson, 15-year marketing leader for all things marketing ops, analytics, go-to-market, ABM, and anything that deals with data. She is your girl. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kayson. I'm excited to dive in.
1: No, thanks for having me.
0: Yay. So one thing I always like to kick off with just to have the audience get to know you a little bit better is can you tell us a little about how you got into B2B marketing?
1: Yeah, I actually have no idea. And I say that I've always been interested in marketing. Starting at a young age, I said, I'm going to go into marketing. No one knew where that really came from. And then I did my high school internship actually in a marketing department at a credit union. And it confirmed for me at least I want to do marketing yeah definitely not at a bank though I knew that <laughs> and then fast forward went to college majored in marketing had some other internships in marketing so it's just where I wanted to go my first role was more well it was b2b to C, and then from there I got into b2b and I just didn't look back yeah marketing to businesses for me is just more I guess natural
0: yeah. Why do you think that is? What is it about B2B that won over B2B or B2C or B2B2C? to
1: uh, ci think I always blame this on growing up in a family of engineers, but so engineers have the mentality of how can we look at things and really just dissect it? What makes it better? How can we make it faster? How do we improve the process? And I think while you can do that with B2C, there are so many angles and variables And just outliers that are completely not related to anything. Where in B2B, it's still very complex. And honestly, these days, it's getting more and more complex. But you can still segment and slice and dice and dig into the systems, the process, the data, and really analyze and make good decisions on how to make it better, how to make it faster, get more value out of something. And so I think that's the angle where B2B just resonated with me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that you love all things data and that makes so much sense that you were, you're from a family of engineers. So that goes hand in hand. Yeah, I think I I'm blame the blame Entirely on them. Yeah. I love it though. That's amazing. Cause I come from a family of artists, so I'm the black sheep, not going that in that direction and going into marketing, but I think I'm much more on the creative side then the data exactly. side i wish i had some engineers in my life growing up
1: <laughs> i get it too i say i'm the black sheep for not going engineer but yeah. just like you're more creative i spend all day in excel sheets or still doing a lot more math than they think marketers really ever do
0: yeah that's great Thinking, diving into data a bit, what are some of your top metrics that you think are most important right now? And has that changed at all over the past few years?
1: I don't think it's changed. And I do think it's nuanced. It depends on the industry. I say it depends. So pretty much everything in marketing. Full disclosure, yeah. It depends. Is my answer, but I think ultimately it's revenue. And I, I don't know if that's changed necessarily over the past few years, but I think definitely long-term marketers used to be responsible for leads or MQLs. And that's definitely shifted to revenue. And especially in this lovely, slower moving economy that so many in the B2B space are experiencing right now. It's really how does marketing help optimize revenue? If it's not new business, how are they helping with retention? How are they helping with Upsells. What does that look like? in the longer term play. So I think it's definitely revenue, and then there's probably some sort of every company calls it something different. Whether it's CAC or it's cost of acquisition, even marketing spend efficiency, whatever they call it, it's definitely a very important metric.
0: Yes, yes, that's amazing. Do you typically run all of those numbers yourself, or do you work closely with finance to to track all of those stats like CAC and LTV and all those details? it depends.
1: Uh, exactly. It does depend. <laughs> it depends on the org and how, how big the company is and sophisticated. I think, especially with finance to figure out an LTV CAC number, I have no insights usually into yeah, sales maybe. expenses. So I have to work with finance to figure those out, but especially at least where it's just marketing loaded. Yeah. I at least try to track them myself and I just work with finance to make sure am I, tracking this appropriately, but especially on overall marketing contribution to revenue, that's something I like to build the dashboards for unless I have an analytics team to work with me, but it's something I look at daily.
0: I love that too. What do you kind of put on the dashboards for a marketing contribution to revenue? What's the core focus there and how do you attribute that?
1: Yeah. So first attribution is Such a loaded Loaded word, word. Yeah, very loaded. (laughs) And I think these days it's getting more and more loaded. Does it first touch? Is it last touch? Does it matter where it came inbound? Unpopular opinion. I don't care if it was inbound or outbound. I do want to know what sources created it and what helped them along. But if we're being very, very honest, whether marketing actually created the lead or outbound sales did... Both teams touched it at some point. It's not getting to the finish line without both. So just know what happened so that you can replicate the process. But quote unquote, credit is just ridiculous. But, yes. anyways, that's I a side
0: <laughs> to no, answer, your We can go into question.
1: that. <laughs> well, we could can, we can talk about that for 24 hours. Yes. To answer your actual question, I think that's, I like to start it with what are those main KPIs that marketing's responsible for. If it's revenue, okay. How much can we tell marketing has created? How much can we tell marketing has influenced usually using like a campaign opportunity influence report in Salesforce? Yeah, And then how can we start to really see where those numbers are and then go from there kind of water falling up to create revenue? Marketing has to create opportunities. So let's track the same things, but at the opportunity level. To get them at opportunities, we've got to look at them at sales or SQLs or MQLs, every stage of the company's funnel all the way up so that marketing knows as early as possible where there's a problem, especially depending on how long a company's sales cycle is. If they have a six month plus sales cycle and they discover an opportunity right now, we're headed into July almost. Mm-hmm. You can't pivot if there's a problem that you don't discover and you have that long of a sales cycle, it's just hurting you for the rest of the year. So you've got to fix it early yeah, to really keep those going through the, the flow as you want. That's a really good point. So if your company has a six
0: month sales okay. cycle and we're halfway through the year now, does your focus sort of go to, I mean, on one hand, you're continuing to fill the funnel for next year. But are Mm -hmm. you switching gears to also just focus on sales enablement and closing that rate?
1: Yeah, I think that's really important to look at how do you help enable sales, but also are there areas where you can see this is more where that that lovely attribution word comes into play. Can you look at different opportunities that have moved through quicker than your average of six months? And Mm. what was different there? Was it just everything lined up perfectly or even something to do with this industry moves quicker or anything there, but also where there are certain marketing touches that helped accelerate. And that's really where marketing acceleration working with sales comes into play. Love that. And we talked, you touched on this. I want to go
0: back to what you touched on with the, it doesn't matter the influence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter about credit. Cause I am on the same page there. I think this goes back to sales and marketing alignment right you're one team i never see it i mean early in my career i had that sales marketing fight that all those memes exist about right and i vowed never to have that again so since then my whole career i just i've been like this with like totally tight with sales and marketing because you have the same goals at the end of the day it's about arr mr right revenue like you were saying So you want to align it. It doesn't matter if marketing brought this in, if sales got this from outbound, who cares? It's more about learning what marketing touches helped and what sequences from the sales team helped or what they spoke about. If you're looking at the gong or phone calls, like what script helped and identifying those winning combinations and reiterating and tweaking where it needs to, right?
1: A hundred percent. I think a keyword that stood out to me in what you just said is the word combination, I've actually found, especially as you go into more of the larger complex buying orgs where there's, you know, five plus stakeholders, you're spending a lot of money and it's just, there's a lot of details to iron out in the close one deal. It's the combination of marketing and sales that matters. And it's not, okay, marketing hands it off at this point and sales jumps in, but really how do you align those efforts? Marketing starts with some air cover and then sales comes to play and then marketing continues and then sales comes in and then marketing arms them with this script. But it's also that feedback loop of sales continues to hear, these are the product features that no one knew about or that they're wanting. How do they work with product? How do they work with marketing to make sure people know? you offer those solutions or you answer those pain points. So it's the combination of marketing and sales mm-hmm. that I think really is starting to drive mm-hmm. more wins.
0: Agreed. Maybe we should get rid of the word credit when it comes to sales and marketing. It's just I winning think, combination. Agreed.
1: <laughs> I entirely agree. I think credit just needs to stop being yeah. a word. It just doesn't it just matter.
0: Doesn't are there any tools that you use to identify kind of these winning combinations or, I mean, within Salesforce or anything else that you just use to see what touches are helping on any end sales, marketing, even CS, if it comes to retention.
1: Yeah. I, so I think every company does it differently. So depending on their budget, you can do it very Simply between some combination of Google analytics, if you have a great web development team, you can even pull those UTM parameters in three forms and save them in your, you know, your marketing automation platform or your Salesforce and start to see those there from first touch and a most recent. Big fan of Salesforce campaigns for absolutely everything or dynamics campaigns, if you're not a Salesforce house, but track them for everything. Inbound touches, outbound touches, and really, really be diligent about also their engagement with those campaigns, with the statuses there. So -hmm. you can do it very simple in most likely the tools you already have. And then of course, there is a slew of attribution tools out there that are amazing to help you track. If you have a a larger software budget.
0: Yeah. I feel like I've always had the smaller, tighter budget. So I haven't had been able to explore all of (laughs) these attribution tools, just kind of the built-in for Salesforce or HubSpot, et cetera.
1: Dynamics back in the day. (laughs) You can still learn so much just from the simple Salesforce campaigns though, and UTM parameters. So, so true.
0: And we were talking a little bit before we turned the mics on about Go to market, GTM being a very hot term right now, and it's it's kind of like the new ABM, right? ABM, which we can get into later as a, an acronym is so hot as well, but go to market. I feel like it's a term that has more so recently been coined and become popular, but it's just something we've always done without having a term for it. And now it feels like there's all these different motions or strategies that are coming out. I mean, there's the usual product-led growth and sales-led growth. And now there's event-led growth, community-led growth, people-led growth, customer-led growth. There's so many different motions that are being introduced in models. I'm curious, A, what you think about this new trend and like explosion in GTM. And B, how you've determined which model to move forward with in the various positions you've held?
1: Yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head with me when you said it's something we've always done without having a term. And that's where, especially I think really GTM became a trendy topic with PLG motions. As soon as everyone wanted to start talking about, well, it's a product-led growth. Is it product-led growth? Yeah. On repeat, yeah. everywhere you looked, everyone <laughs> started questioning, well, what's our GTM motion? Yes. We, we aren't product led, so maybe we should be community led and everyone felt like they had to identify yes. a GTM Label. model. <laughs> I personally feel like they're not mutually exclusive and for most companies, they shouldn't be, you shouldn't yeah. just pick one. There are some companies, just one may make sense or Leading with one makes more sense, but just jumping into this alone is probably not the best strategy. So I'm ready for our next trend (laughs) instead of just picking GTM. But I think how you figure out maybe the mix of which GTM strategy is right for you, or if you should be primarily focused on one GTM strategy, it really comes down to your company, your product their user experience, how customers resonate with you and what you're trying to build in three to five years. Especially if you want to go community led, that is not a quick term. Yeah. That is not easy to build. So do you already have a community talking about you? Do you have customers that love to connect to each other and they recommend you? Maybe that's a great approach. If you don't have a lot of customers yet, you're just starting out and you're competing with a lot of others, community-led growth may not be the best option. And also, if you want very quick wins and to see results quick, again, community may not be the best option. That's going to take a very long time to build.
0: Do you think community-led growth, because that makes so much sense. Is that kind of something to have in the background as a long-term play while you're focusing on a different model to start with, like product-led or sales-led full force, but then you're starting to put some things in place for the long-term community play?
1: I mean, I think so. To me, I think community could be a short-term or a more ongoing play for the right organization, but probably not an early startup or some yeah. new brand just getting out there. I definitely think it's a long-term play and it really part of a community is you have to be very open, to the good, the bad, and the ugly and being customers being very transparent with each other and with prospects. And also I think you have to commit to them a certain level of transparency. Yeah. And a lot of companies aren't always willing to do that, especially in the short term. And that ends up hurting them in the long term term on a community play
0: yeah especially right now with just teams being smaller and tighter and having to do so much and there's all this pressure to drive pipeline right now yes it seems like community like that's the first area to get cut in a lot of places right and that you have to have to do community right you have to have somebody owning it and dedicated to it right
1: i think that that's where a lot of companies i've seen go wrong with community They think if we build it, they will come. Yes, They don't have anyone owning it and really on top of it. And they don't even start with the, what's the strategy for this community? What are the goals of this community? It's just, hey, let's build a community. Mm -hmm. And then it fails and they don't understand why. And then, so, especially as teams are getting smaller and scrappier, you're right, it gets cut.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. People do often think, and people I mean execs <laughs> <that> <laughs> you build this community, and then instantly it's pipeline, but it's you really have to think genuinely, what are you building this community for? How are you helping them? Because if you're not coming from that perspective, it just won't work out. If it's purely selfish for pipeline reasons, that will be apparent. Everyone will see right through that exactly. What do you see right now with things times being tough and community being a long-term play, what do you see working right now for demand gen and lead gen and just really building that pipeline? What is working?
1: Yeah. So without going back to it, I think it definitely has depended on every industry and really going on there. I think a lot of people are leaning more towards just that transparency and being very honest. You're seeing on LinkedIn, a lot more of executives getting involved or in conversations and being even transparent about what's working, what's not working building out loud is Mm -hmm. a huge trend right now. So I think transparency and authenticity are very big right now from that perspective. And I say that I don't think anything is necessarily, there's a magic pill right now that is working, but I don't think there's any magic pill or anything to specifically avoid that is not working. Everything is just feels like it's moving very slower for a lot of companies. There are more people involved in those buying committees. There are harder value propositions that have to be met. And there's there's just more criteria to make a decision. Yeah. Deals are going to take longer. They're going to be harder fought. I'm inclined to say that's where an account-based play would yeah. come in. But I think that's also where a lot of product marketing work is coming in. Is your value proposition very clear? Are you articulating specifically to the pain points of everyone in that buying committee? And does it feel consistent throughout their entire experience, not just from marketing, but does that meet their sales message when they see your CEO posting on LinkedIn? Does that, do they feel what your product is offering to them throughout everything? So I think it's really a combination right now.
0: Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. And for sure, it seems like the buying cycle is longer, the buying team is larger, everything's just like you said, slower right now, at least in the B2B space. Is there any, like so far this year, any channel that you've been surprised to see winning or working more than usual or just like consistent, which is, is still a win for 2023?
1: I would have to say, no, I haven't seen any, a lot of consistencies. Yeah, There's definitely way more trends. I'm not going to call it a trend because I think it's here to stay actually, but in ungating content, yes. ungating webinars, or even having those webinars flat out on LinkedIn live. So you don't have to register for all of those. Yeah. So I think we're seeing more momentum time working than less of that perfectly planned moment. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that because you know how
0: with influencers, right? That was a big wave like a few years ago where authentic, like things didn't have to be super scripted and the selfies, right? And that kind of style came about in B2C and B2B. And now you're so right. That's kind of come deeper into the LinkedIn world and webinars, like beyond just pictures and social into bigger formats, like LinkedIn lives, I actually haven't, I don't think I've done a LinkedIn live myself yet. Is that, do you see that getting more traction? Cause it used to be kind of, you got an alert and you you just kind of ignore it, but now you're right. I see them way more often in my LinkedIn feed and they're getting a lot more visibility and attendees.
1: Exactly. I personally have noticed it also a lot more on LinkedIn and yeah. I look at it, opinion of one here, full disclosure, (laughs) but I feel like I sign up for a lot of webinars and I know very good and well, sorry to everyone whose webinars I sign up for, but I know good and well, I'm not going to attend that webinar. I'm busy during it. And then when they send me the recording, I always save it in my email. I am never going to watch that recording. I'm really signing up for that webinar for that TLDR email. Recap that they're going to send everyone who registered. Here's the 10 things we talked about, or here are the three big takeaways or whatever that is. And I feel like on LinkedIn live, it's more that moment in time. I'm not planning to attend, but if I'm just checking on LinkedIn during the day and I see it pop up, I may pop in or out, but then you can already see who else is in that conversation. And so I can easily and more quickly see the key points and the key takeaways where webinar I'm waiting on that TLDR email, which I feel like not every company does. So true. I
0: think, wow, this is probably like six, seven years ago now. Google ran a campaign all about micro moments. Yes. And it seems like that hasn't gone away. Like it's these, our attention span just continues to lessen, right? And shorten. And now it's like, if you happen to see something while you're scrolling and you see there's a LinkedIn live, you'll go in, pop in, check it out. And whatever you can grasp instantly in that just quick clip is what matters. And like the TLDR email, right? It's basically TLDR is the number one takeaway I'm getting of everything needs to be able to be clipped. (laughs) A
1: 100%. I always say there's no right or best performing piece of content, because everyone wants to engage differently. Person A wants a podcast, person B wants a webinar, person C yes. wants a blog post, person D wants a tweet, like whatever it is, you're not going to hit everyone across the board, which is also why repurposing content is so important. But yeah. your point about attention spans, some of this has to do with Instagram. And I say this, I still love Instagram. Yeah. But I saw a stat and I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong. where we used to have the attention span of a goldfish where. Oh God, we could, is it worse now? <laughs> it, it is way worse. I think we used to, it was like every six seconds our brains switched. And now it's like we can't even grasp things. It's like a decimal place. And wow. we just, we switch so much because there's so many stimulus. Even we were talking about B2C earlier. I think we have to remember that while we're focusing on B2B marketers, and people at work in reality, we're also still competing with those B2C brands for mental attention and time in a day because in their inbox next to every B2B ad, they're getting shoes, they're getting a restaurant, they're getting that gym on their phones. Yes, we're targeting them on LinkedIn and on Google and on Instagram too, but so are all of those other ads, even in out of home, I've been watching football games and I see a personal ad for like chewy dog toys targeting me. And then the next thing is I'm getting an ESP targeting me. Yeah. And so they know who I am very clearly. And it's, it's a blur of B2C and B2B that's targeting the people. So we're fighting those attention spans. That's so true.
0: How does this come into play with ABM? I know that that's a big focus of yours and something you've done a lot of. So if you can tell me what's working in the world of ABM and how has that changed over the past year or two?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it always was important to personalize and to slow down and really focus on the company, why they should work with you, how you help them, and also the people you're targeting there. But I think it's become even more important to slow down and get to know the buyers And how do you help them? They're up against these crazy pressures with slower sales cycles that we're all against too. So how do we help them? And I would say it's actually a little bit more about them than you. It always has been, but I think the emphasis there has been, it's shifted a little bit more towards make it about them. How do you show them value upfront? And how do you make it very personalized to why do I make your life better if you buy with us? where it used to be, here's, let me just show you my ad a lot. And let me send you some cool gifts or invite you to events right now we're I think really honestly, post COVID we've been in this place of people don't always want to go to events. They want to balance their time, how they want to balance their time. So even if it's a cool event, you're inviting them to, or some VIP experience, they may rather go on a hike or watch soccer or do whatever they want to do with their free time. Mm -hmm. So I think with account-based, you have to be just more intentional. And it's still even to the point about kind of our attention spans are getting lower. How do you keep at them? And it may take longer to get those meetings. But how do you make sure that your brand is always slightly top of mind through display networks, but also then that's where that balance, looping it back to our conversation earlier, and really that partnership with sales comes to play. How do you have just enough sales outreach that it's not pushy with that marketing coverage so that you're creating that demand when they're ready and then sales hits them at just that right, that right time. Mm -hmm. That's so true.
0: Is there anything in ABM that is just not working right now that it used to perhaps, and it's just changed and now is a no-go?
1: I don't know if this is necessarily not working, but I think it's harder to do more so internally, where we're talking about efficiencies and and marketing ROI. But I feel like you used to send a lot of lavish gifts or elaborate gifts or even mass gift campaigns. I feel like there's always been a lot of scrutiny around, does gifting work? And I think especially right now where companies are really going line by line through marketing budgets, I feel like gifts would still in theory probably work for account-based, but I feel like you're getting a lot more pressure to not do them or to do them way more cheap. And part of how they always worked was that it was that exclusive gift or it was that thing that you've always wanted, but you were never going to spend the money on yourself. Yeah. And now with marketing budgets getting cut, you can't send those quality gifts that you used to. So true. That's for us to get cut. I wonder how those
0: companies like Alice and Sendoso are doing, to be honest, because that is like something, it's like a luxury and nice to have. It seems like the way you see, if you can prove the ROI, one company I see doing gifting so well still is DemandBase. Justin Levy from DemandBase is just king of, of getting that done. And he and he gets a ton of traction on LinkedIn from sending really unique gifts. And the, I don't know if you saw that trend that's still probably happening is the Grove Cook Cookie Company. Everybody's I was gonna say the cookies. one with the cookies. They DemandBase definitely partnered with them and I think helped help them shine a bit. But yeah, they, I see Grove cookies everywhere I got, I had them. They are delicious. They are good. So anybody, it is a cheaper way also to, to yeah. send gifts and to work directly with them. So you can send so them. I
1: have not experienced the Grove cookie. I'll yet. send you some, Kaysen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't experienced them yet, but I do love those because it's, it's a thoughtful approach yeah, without having to be crazy expensive.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and sometimes exactly.
1: sometimes the smallest thing matters. It doesn't have to be oh, let me send you a whole new whatever the the article of the moment is because I think yeah. we've all yeah. gone through trends, but it doesn't have to be oh, here's your custom engraved champagne case yes. with you know the personalized champagne flutes and all exactly. of those things. But how do I send you oh you're super swamped this week? Let me just send you an Uber Eats gift card to buy lunch one oh, day this week. That goes a thoughtful. very long Mm -hmm. way because then you, I, you were thinking of me. I I always go back to this example. I had just moved into, I had moved from Nashville, Tennessee to Denver, Colorado, and a vendor sent me a housewarming succulent. Succulents are not expensive, but I have remembered that for years now. And it's my favorite gift I've ever gotten because I just thought it was so thoughtful that they sent me a succulent.
0: How do you train teams and individuals to think of those things in the moment? And who do you think is responsible for it, marketing or sales?
1: I don't know if it's marketing, it's sales, or even in my case, in that example, it was a CSM. Ah, yeah. But I think it I think it's really company culture and how our customers first, and especially on the marketing and sales side with prospects, how do you kind of delight prospects as if they were customers? First, And I, I usually call it or describe it as bringing up that white glove customer treatment to the prospect experience. So I think it's really if the company puts that first, reps will understand I need to prioritize that, giving them some sort of monthly or quarterly, whatever budget for those gifts, but how do you train them to, instead of just jumping into, let me sell you this deal or let me check in on our opportunity call. How do you get to know the person as well so that you hear, Oh, they're moving this week. Let me write that down. Yeah. Oh, their birthdays coming up in a couple of months. Let me write that down or even start to pick up on their favorite food is Italian. Their favorite food is Mexican. So that then when it comes time to, hey, we need to send them something, let me do the research and find a really good Italian place in their city and send them a card. How do they almost keep a track?
0: Yeah. Are you an advocate? I imagine I know the answer being that you're a data girl. Like this should all be documented inside Salesforce or whatever their CRM is, right? All of these details. Yes.
1: Absolutely. Then,
0: like, how is the best way to do that? Because so I know default, right? Especially for sales teams is to put it in notes and notes section. And then it's hidden, it's lost. You can never pull any data from that. Do you think it's worth having like very specific fields for like favorite food, likes, dislikes? Of course, birthday, we know that's, that kind of comes built into CRM, but are there specific
1: fields for these things? Absolutely, Yeah. Which I know, especially on a sales ops or rev ops side, fields are sacred because there is, is a limit to fields, but I think that's a great place. If you can even add an object onto the contact records so that it can all be pulled there, but especially depending on, on the motion, or if you want to do a mass gift process for any. You know, we just did an MA or a rebrand or anything like that. And you want to send your biggest customer advocates gifts. If it's all in a custom entity, it's a lot easier to export so that then marketing can take that and, and send out those mass gifts. But I think whatever those types of gifts you want to enable people to send out are, have yeah, fields for them. Yeah. If it's even allergies, especially if you're sending out food-related mm-hmm. gifts, if you figure those out, if it's here's their favorite restaurant upcoming moment, whatever yeah. those are, how do you keep track of those so that you know to send a gift? I'd probably That's also, so side note to the ops teams out there, have a field for last gift sent so that you're not Ooh. sending them a gift accidentally every week.
0: That's such a good takeaway. <laughs> last gift sent fields. I'm writing all of these things down. This is so smart because even as budgets are scaled down, right, and we're not gifting as much, with ABM, this just feels so important because you're building that relationship and relationships matter so much right now. To Agreed. even if you're just fostering them for when budget opens up again, just they'll exactly. remember you from these little things when they're thoughtful, just like you're succulent, right? Like if it's soft or I loved your idea, it's so simple, but it's so thoughtful and genuine and easy to do is sending like an Uber Eats e-card yeah. because they're having a really busy week and probably haven't eaten lunch today. Like remember to eat lunch today and send them that if somebody did that to me, I told you I had a crazy morning, like that would be so touching. And I would definitely, exactly. as soon as I could send business their way. So, well, that's
1: the memorable moments to me, aren't just for how do you get them to buy your deal now? especially you, you hit on it. It's about building those relationships for when budget opens up. If your budget doesn't open up and they touch you in those moments where it really matters, you're probably going to send other people to them until your budget opens up. But also if you're a customer and they have really supported you in those moments, it sticks with you. I cannot tell you how many times I have referred the company that has sent me that succulent. Aww. I've been anytime they needed a case study, an advocate. I was like, oh, I got you. Anytime people ask me for a specific vendor, they're the first one I name. Yeah. So advocate for life. Not just because of the succulent, but I always, it's the building of those moments and they really got it.
0: That's so true. I have a few companies that stick in my mind from sending, yeah. like when I had my son, they sent cute little onesies to me. And I remember yeah. them, the company, and I remember the people. So even if they leave, exactly. like it's You're going to follow
1: those people. You're yeah. going to follow those companies because they put you, like personally you, Jane, before yeah. the opportunity. And even if it was because it was, well, we know she's going to renew. I always say it's harder to break up with a person than a company. So when they build those relationships and you love your CSM or you love your salesperson, then when it comes to break the contract or cancel, it's harder than when you're breaking up with a name.
0: So hard. So 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 true. I had to cancel a contract this year because I just wasn't getting the ROI to validate it right now and to continue testing for another year. And it was very difficult because I loved my CS people. And we had a the exit interview type thing where you, like, why are you leaving? Why aren't you renewing post contract end? And I expressed again and again, like the CS mm-hmm. team was amazing. It is purely not because of that. It's simply just ROI right now and times being tough. But as soon as we could, again, like I would work with those two in a heartbeat. I would hire them
1: in a heartbeat too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all about relationships across the board.
0: Are you an advocate of surveying, like how, I'm still on the ABM side, staying in touch and from the marketing perspective, keeping in touch with the prospects and customers and their pain points and what matters to them, one to one level, one to few, one to many, all three. Are you an advocate of... Is it searching like Gong calls and phone call recordings or is it more having those one-to-one interviews with prospects and customers yourself to stay in in touch?
1: I think it's a combination of all of them, especially now yeah. that like Gong has released a lot more analytics. So you don't have to search the calls individually, but you can just look at the dashboards high level or even within an account list, you can look at what are the themes on those calls. Yeah. And then I think, especially as prospects from your A's, your B's, your C accounts, move through the funnel and become customers, really figuring out why did they choose to buy, purchase from you? Why did they choose not to? Anything like that, especially if in your ABM program, you're trying to change your target market or you're trying to specifically target those higher ACV customers or anything there that's slightly nuanced and slightly outside of where you've been performing. Mm -hmm. anything you can learn about why they did what they did or what their concerns were, what their hangups were in the sales process or anything there. It just helps you refine for the next time and helps you kind of go back to the well. Okay, this was an area that it was sticky. How do we prevent this next time? How do we learn from this? Or how do we absolutely make sure we double down on this? Because they loved it.
0: Yeah, so constant learning and and analytics, going into the data and seeing what works and iterating.
1: Constantly iterating, seeing what works, but I think especially how we we talked about everyone's got lower attention spans and they're being hit up by everybody right now. Yeah. How do you constantly test? Because what worked 6 months ago may not work now, but it may work again in 6 months. What worked at your last company may not work at your next company. Every combination of just keep testing and then test again a little bit later. Yeah,
0: just keep testing. I love that. I'm picturing like Dory from finding
1: Nemo. (laughs) Instead of swimming, we're just going to test.
0: Yeah, I love it. Before we wrap up, Kason, I know you and I were talking about a tool that you use that I'm definitely (laughs) checking out and I want to share it with our listeners. I know you're a big advocate of leveraging AI wherever you can. Can you share with everybody this amazing tool that you use?
1: Yeah. So we were talking about different types of generative AI. And I actually shared with Jane that some of the photos she's seen of me may or may not actually be me, to which case if you could see her face when I had said that she was like, wait, (laughs) what are you talking about? And so a lot of people have tried it. I was actually introduced to it by some previous coworkers, but you can upload depending on what site you use, like 10 to 20 selfies. And they'll do a nice little photo shoot for you. Some are more frivolous. You know, they can turn you into fairies or cowgirls (laughs) or whatever. And then some can be professional headshots. So I actually tried a professional headshot one. It's try it on .ai, but there are a ton out there. Sorry to anyone I'm excluding by not mentioning your company. But so it was like $17, 24 hours later, you get a hundred photos. Some are definitely weird. I shared like a three armed one. I had one where I think I had like two ears on one side of my head and one one ear on the right side. It's a look. Some, <laughs> yeah, it's a look. Not hating it if that's what you're into. Some were just they were good photos, but they were outfits that if I put it up, people would be like, "That's not you. You would never in your life wear that." Yeah, But overall, the majority of them were amazing. I look at it as $17 is way cheaper than going and getting professional headshots done. They look just like me. They had a lot of cute outfits and background options. They looked very professional. And then if you're a female, hair and makeup definitely could be a third. So you don't have to worry about any of that in, in the generative AI photos. And then I think pro tip there, especially if you are asking any investors or anyone to share a headshot for an upcoming webinar or on a website or anything, if they don't have a up to date or a good quality headshot, it's a great way to say, Hey, well, can you do this instead? And then just reimburse them $17 goes a very long way and you get some great photos. Yeah. Try it on.ai is, is
0: the one she used. And if you check out Kason's LinkedIn photo, that is one. <laughs> at least as of recording of this show, but it's mind blowing because it looks just like it's you and it's it, very well done. Really so everyone, looks check just this. Like out. Me. <laughs> well, Kason, thank you so much for diving into this. It was so fun to chat micro moments and ABM. There's so many fun tips I think you've shared with us. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. It was great.
0: And thank you everybody for listening. If you liked this episode, as I'm sure you did, like, share, review, it all helps us get more listeners. So thanks everyone for tuning in and see you next time.